regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. Hi everyone, welcome to a new interview in Datacast and today I have a pleasure to be on a call with uh, Emily Drum. Emily is the co-founder and uh, CTO of uh, Evidently AI, which is a startup that is currently developing tools to analyze and monitor the performance of machine learning models. Earlier, she co-founded an industrial AI startup and served as the chief data scientist at Yandex Data Factory. She led over 50 applied ML projects for various industries from banking to manufacturing. She's also a data science lecturer at uh, St. Petersburg Stage Management School and Harvard Space University. She's a co-author of the machine learning and data analysis curriculum at Coursera with over 100,000 students. She also co-founded Data Man in Action, which is the largest open data science course in Russia. So yeah, Emily, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me here today. By way of introduction, I saw that you got both your bachelor and master degrees in uh, applied mathematics and informatics from the uh, People's Friendship University of Russia back in the early 2010s. So can you uh, just briefly talk about your undergrad experience? Yeah, sure. It was a lovely period of my life and I always happy to remember it. When I was choosing university, there were uh, pretty much two options for me. First was to go for one of the top uh, technical universities of Russia, like St. Petersburg State University or Moscow State University. And the second option was to go uh, for university with great international connections with a lot of students from different countries. And uh, I believe I should mention that I'm myself from multicultural family. Uh, my father is from Chad, he is African, and uh, my mother is Russian. And I was so interested to meet people from different countries, to learn the culture, to um, and make some friends from all over the world. And uh, I went for the second options. And I believe now that it was my best decision. And People's Friendship University of Russia is not a technical university, but uh, it's state university. And uh, we had a lot of really nice mathematical courses. And there I uh, got my solid math background. But at least at the moment when I was studying there, my university lacked uh, a bit uh, modern computer science courses. And this is why I decided to somehow compensate for that. And I found uh, Yandex School of Data Analysis and I attended it. Yeah, fabulous. It's really great that you have an uh, opportunity to like, interface with people from over the globe at the stage of your you know, personal development. So you mentioned you studying math and take some classes on CSD as well. What is like some of your favorite classes back in undergrad and, and even your, your master, for example? I think my favorite classes was everything that was connected to statistics because I really liked the idea of uh, making decisions based on the data because it, for me it was more stable, let's say, and it helped to be more precise, be more accurate. And uh, I liked the probability theory, the statistics, the financial mathematics so I believe these three courses was my favorite back then. 
Thanks for sharing. You kind of mentioned that you also got a master degree in the Yandex School of Data Analysis around the same time. And this program specialized in CS and data analysis and is designed run by Yandex, which is the largest search engine on the internet in Russian. So uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about this program, how you discovered it, and what are some of the practical uh, classes that, that you took? I was at third year of my bachelor study, uh, yes, and I started um, thinking about my future job. I searched for different options for different companies, and I figured out that I need to go to Yandex because it's like one of the best IT companies in Russia. And uh, I figured out that I really like some experience, especially in computer science and programming, because, well, I didn't attend a lot of different competitions, and I didn't have any pet projects, so... I start thinking about how to maybe get more experience and how to become a better engineer to at least have a chance to attend Yandex. And I figured out that they have some master's program and I started preparing myself really, really hard. So I spent like three months to study whatever I needed to attend this school. And there were really a lot of people who also wanted to do it. And I thought that I have very few chances because I'm not from the best technical university, but I decided to try and it worked out for me. So uh, I was super happy, <laughs> actually. I believe it's my second best decision in life. And uh, they have, at that year, it was 2010, they had only two programs. First is data, science, data analysis and second uh, is uh, computer science. And I thought that I need to focus on the engineering courses. This is why I choose computer science. See, you mentioned like, you know, it took some challenge to kind of like learn by yourself because, you know, you didn't really take some advanced classes like in undergrad. How was that learning process for you? Like, was you self-study a lot or was any uh, mentors or any people that uh, have you along along that journey? Yeah, uh, It was summer and I started from playing, of course, because I'm like super meticulous planner. <laughs> it was so funny. It's so funny for me now, but uh, that day I like uh, associated each day with some topic and I studied myself. And uh, at the very middle of the process, I figured out that I cannot solve some um, mathematical problems by myself. And I wrote a letter for my algebra uh, professor from People's Friendship University of Russia. And actually, I really didn't expect him answer because it was summer, but he answered very, very fast. And he naturally, he write down the solution, made a photo and sent me this photo. So yeah, it was like this. And it helped me a lot. So uh, yes, it was self-study with help of my teachers from university. Very, very important to have those influence early in your career. Your first job at our university was as a software developer at Grampler, which is um, another Russian search engine and you know also one of the biggest Russian web portals. What are some of the lessons that you learned from your first job? I would start from the fact that it was not my very, very first job because before that I had internship in Yandex. But yes, it definitely was my first uh, like serious job. I believe it was pretty stressful for me because I wasn't sure that I'm good enough to start my career as a software engineer because I had internship as an analyst and I always was worrying about my uh, engineering skills. And uh, when I had my first task at job, I figured out that it's strongly related with some distributed system and I need to learn a lot about Hadoop ecosystem. I need to uh, learn a lot about how to write MapReduce job, how to write HiveQL uh, queries and many, many things like this, how to use distributed file system like generally. And I was so uh, scared that I would break something or something can go wrong. And while I was working in Rambler, I figured out that it's okay to 
uh, learn something on the way, <laughs> learn something while you're working. And if I want to stay in this profession, if I want to be uh, an IT specialist for a long time, I need to <laughs> make it make this process comfortable for me because I will learn like the whole time. And Rambler helped me to make it actually pleasure and continue learning always. I'd <laughs> say so it like this. I think developing that drive to uh, learning how to learn in your career yeah. is, is very important. Yeah, so you mentioned like because your education is more focused on the data analysis and now for the first role is focused more on the, on the engineering, like software development. You have to take a lot of time out, learn new new concepts, right? And so like cultivating that drive to just pick up new topics, start going, it is very, very crucial, right? Yeah, it was exactly like this. And I still remember how I started to learn everything about distributed computations. And at the very beginning, it was so... Um, new for me and I was really scared to run at least one at my producer job because I was thinking oh I will write something wrong and I will load the whole cluster and everybody will know that it was me <laughs> who did it but later on it was more interesting it felt more like experimenting and uh, I enjoyed the process. Absolutely. After Gramba, you spend the next years as a data scientist developing e-commerce recommended system at Yandex. What attracted you to go back to Yandex at the time? And second of all, like what, what were some of the unique challenges of building recommended system at Yandex School? Mm, that's a great question. After finishing Yandex School of Data Analysis, I start feeling like uh, Yandex is my home company because I already meet with a lot of software engineers, with a lot of analysts and professors. And uh, I really loved the Yandex culture and uh, I like how they build the whole processes, how they train people, how they attract them to work and Yandex life. And even working uh, at Rambler, I continued to uh, communicate with persons from Yandex. And when they got a very interesting challenge and problem statement related to recommender systems, I was like so happy to join because for me, it's super important to do something that challenge you and something that you think is useful for some customers, for clients. And this is why I decided to try. Um, but yes, uh, speaking about some challenges at Yandex, it was interesting for me because it was the very first time when I started to work on the system when you, where you have a lot of different limitations to use solution, like response time should be super small and uh, the solution should be really stable and it should be accepted by the very skilled engineers from Yandex. And it was always like, well, <laughs> I'm not sure I would ever pass this kind of exam test. But uh, it was super interesting because this were the moment where I learned how to actually write the production grade code, how to write uh, great tests and uh, how to create the stable systems with a lot of different fallbacks. For example, when your machine learning model do not answer and you can switch to another system, which for example, needs uh, less data. And then even this system doesn't answer, you can switch to some uh, maybe static recommendations or some simple rules. And uh, that was the moment when I learned this schema and uh, I learned some strategies how to build it uh, nicely. And one more thing uh, to add here is that it was my first project where I had a very straightforward connection between the quality of machine learning model and business KPI, like average cheek and revenue from products because it was e-commerce recommender system. And uh, there I learned that it's super important to always have a good connection with this business side of the project and know how your solution uh, impact the real users and maybe optimize the right metrics. 
Yeah, would you mind just giving like a, maybe a hypothetical examples about those recommendations in Magandex that I can relate to increase in let's say revenue, for example? At that moment, I worked uh, at Yandex Market and they have recommendations on uh, each page of the product and they have some accessories, some similar products, and I needed to create algorithms that automatically can create this list of similar products and accessories. And the idea was pretty straightforward. They tried to increase cross-selling by selling some accessories and maybe make some upselling by selling more, maybe better product with maybe more technical capabilities or something like this. And that was uh, my task. And uh, we have a pretty good basic solution that already was implemented. And uh, our machine learning model had to beat this basic solution. So yes, the quality metric for us uh, was something like precision at top 10 first positions. And the business metric was average bill. Electric bill, I see. How many different business units is there at Yandex? I'm just curious. For listeners who are not familiar with the company, yeah. How many visitors? <laughs> it's hard to say because Yandex is a huge portal and they have like Yandex Search, Yandex Market uh, and many other products. Uh, I can say that definitely that it's millions of people, but it's hard for me to say for specific parts of Yandex portal. But I can definitely say that Search is the most popular. Did they spend the next four years at Yandex Data Factory? I think based on my research, which is Yandex end-to-end data platform, you eventually became the chief data scientist there. What were some of the notable projects that you got involved with during this period? I was super proud that I was invited actually to join Yandex Data Factory because it was a new department focuses on applying machine learning for different businesses, for different companies. And they tried to invite a lot of experienced data scientists from inside of Yandex. And I was so happy that they actually asked for me. And uh, I was not sure maybe that I'm good enough to join the team. And I was so, <laughs> let's say, I wanted so much to prove that I can do it. And uh, I remember the most my first project where we worked together with one of the biggest communication company of Russia. And they, at the time, they were trying to solve for churn prediction and churn prevention problem, which is pretty uh, standard and popular for all telecommunication companies because they need to keep their client base as large as possible. And they developed a machine learning model to predict which customers are going to leave the service and to try to retain them. And they asked us to try our hands in this modeling and they wanted to make some kind of competition and compare the quality of our model uh, with quality of the internal one. And for me, now it seems so funny for me, but at that moment I felt like oh my gosh, I need to be in this competition because it's the name of Yandex and I need to, I have to. And I spent way too much time on working this data on feature engineering, on learning why customers actually decided to leave uh, the communication operator. So yes, I spent like twice more time than I needed on this project, but we won this competition and I was super proud. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so it was the first uh, project I remember very well. And the second was more interesting from business point of view, because on the second project, uh, I worked with engineering company who tried to solve a very interesting uh, human resources problem. They had a lot of intern engineers invited in the company, and some of them leave company in a year. And of course, they lost quite a lot of money because they spent some money on training of these intern engineers, and they wanted to keep them in company for as long as possible. So they, again, give us some data and ask us to prepare some machine learning model to predict their resignations. And at the very beginning, a lot of people were thinking that it's 
pretty much impossible to predict who are going to leave the company because, well, there are a lot of different uh, motivations for people to leave company and it's really hard to derive it from the data about the tasks, about the uh, maybe business trips, about some failures and so on. But again, I was so interested to try and to invest a lot of time into learning the domain area, into learning why actually engineers leave in the companies, what trainings they have. And uh, <laughs> I remember that they have like three or four iterations of pre-uploading data because I was so meticulous in accepting this data set and trying to understand each single feature. But at the very end, after having like five or six models, I finally like liked the final one. And they sent us the very recent piece of data and asked us to predict who are going to resign. I remember it very well because it was at the same day when we had a final meeting, but it's early morning. And uh, of course, they didn't warn us about it beforehand. And uh, I applied the model, we got the results. And when we finally uh, came to this meeting, they was like super shocked and super happy. And they was like, we didn't believe, but it works. <laughs> and yes. Actually, it worked. I remember that we predicted correctly like 26 person out of 50 for such cases. That's really a lot. And they were very surprised that machine learning actually works. Yeah, thanks for sharing those three little anecdotes in the stories of the projects that got involved with. One quick note, you were also a chief data scientist over uh, last year at Yandex. And I believe one of your responsibilities to build out and, and coach other data scientists, right? And, you know, recruit yeah. people, things like that. How was that process for you, you know, going from like individual contributor to a more of a manager role? Uh, that's a very good question. And I believe that it's hard for a lot of technical specialists because uh, you're already used to be a technical specialist, to write code, to make some solutions by yourself. And then you need to switch for more managers, maybe um, kind of work. And for me, it was quite hard because I was always scared to lose some of my technical abilities. But I started thinking about the company's business as a whole, and I figured out that I need to switch because we can do better and we can do more if I would do my manager's part of work. And I used a lot of my connections from teaching because I had quite a lot of students from Bursera and from universities, and I just attracted a lot of them. And... Uh, it actually paid off. I was surprised because when I started teaching, I never think that I would actually need these connections for my future work, but it, it worked. Yeah, you know, we'll touch by on some of the teaching uh, engagement later on in our chat. Mm -hmm. But before that, so after Yandex, you um, co-founded and served as the chief data scientist at Mechanica AI, which is a startup that provides AI solution for industrial production. And in mm -hmm. particular, you uh, you know also you recruit and build a core team of data science experts, and you also led the development of machining solution and the underlying technical platform. From this experiment, what would you say to be some of the key components of success for industrial AI? Industrial AI differs from some online services very well, uh, from my point of view, uh, because when you work for some online company, you work uh, in most cases with user-generated data, and it's pretty easy to create your data set because you know all the events are uh, associated with users and you can just aggregate it by user ID and then calculate some features, create your data set and proceed with work. But when it comes to manufacturing, for example, steel production or petrochemicals production, you do not have this data associated with your object directly. 
I mean, for example, if you're trying to predict some defect deal on the early stages, pretty much all data you have are data from some sensor that are located on some equipment. And there is no direct connection between the sensor data and your objects because object, I mean, still just went through this equipment and sensor just measure some temperature or maybe humidity like every second or every millisecond and you just don't have this data set naturally. And you need to do a lot of aggregation in most cases by time to associate somehow data from sensors with your uh, particular objects. And if you failed this, I mean, if you fail the very beginning of the project, it's like impossible to continue it uh, with good machine learning model. So I believe for industrial AI, it's super important to learn the data and to learn it by heart. I mean, understand exactly how this data was generated, how it's related to each other, were there any time uh, gaps or time shifts and create the correct data set. And the second thing, or maybe it should have been first, is that it's super important to dig deep into the main area because without understanding of how, at least on some general level, how to produce steel or how the other technological processes works, it's pretty impossible to come up with correct problem statement and to just start the project. I see. Just kind of quick recap of what you said is as well the cost of data acquisition and mm -hmm. this field is much uh, higher than and I'd say other say for your next example and because of that you need to really careful uh, examine the, the data you have and yeah, absolutely. Do careful analysis. And then second of all, it's, it's very important to work with subject matter expert to understand the problem at hand and formulate the, mm -hmm. the correct problem statement. Yeah, sure. But there are some things, uh, because I mentioned only negative things, I believe I need to mention at least one positive. It's very big pleasure to work with engineering team because when you work with manufacturing companies, factories, and uh, others, there are a lot of different engineers involved in the project. And together with this engineering team, you can build very complicated solutions because they know math, they uh, know engineering, and you can create very strong and productive team. So that's very nice. So while working in the industry, you also became involved with teaching duties. So you were an instructor for two Coursera specializations, machine learning and data analysis, and then uh, big data essentials. Can you share some details about the making of these specializations? It was the very beginning of time when Coursera actually went to Russian market. So it was one of the first specialization, I mean, machine learning and data analysis. And I was invited to this specialization by Konstantin Varantsov. It's a machine learning instructor from Yandex School of Data Analysis. And he also worked in the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. So I was really happy to join. And uh, my part was all applied. Uh, because there are a lot of guys who made some lectures and my part was to prepare good seminars with some programming, with Python and nice libraries and tools. This is my actually favorite part of work. So I was super happy to join the team. And I must say that at the very beginning, nobody actually understood right how much time we <laughs> were about to invest in this project because well, when you first, when you're young and you first look for some online course, MOOCs, you see like, okay, it's maybe one hour video for each week. Okay, it's not a lot, I can do it. But actually we spent a year to create our first specialization. And it was like a second job for us, uh, really. I didn't expect that, but it was like this. Because when you want to create some specialization, 
uh, that contains like six curses and they are strongly connected one with another. You really need to do a lot of scheduling to plan beforehand how you are going to create these materials. And we need to work strongly together because, you know, I cannot use one concept and my colleagues cannot use another. So we needed to agree on everything, how we call this, how we call that, which colors we use for printing something. So it was a lot of teamwork. And actually, I believe this project helped me to learn how to work in team very efficiently. And the final thing, I believe, is it's not something that you can do perfect because it's always some small misspells or something that you could have done better. But if you will try to like fix everything, you will never end, like never ever, because there is always some stuff you can do better. Maybe say something better or pronounce something better or maybe write something better. And I believe it's very important to figure out where is your good enough and maybe launch product when it's good. And yeah, it's always good to have a thick skin because if you public something in internet, when you go to production, you should be ready to get some feedback. And those forecasts are very popular. I mean, a lot of reviews and very high rating stars. Yeah, we were actually surprised that it will be so popular because nobody expected it. Of course, we knew that support from Yandex will help to promote course in Russia because everybody knows Yandex in Russia, but we never expected to have that many learners. And uh, yes, we were at the very first week after we published this course. We like went to check reviews every 15 minutes, I believe, like this, because we were super intrigued and we wanted to fix like everything and needed to keep this course <laughs> correct and great. Perfect. You're also a visiting lecturer at a variety of universities. You taught ML at Moscow mm-hmm. Institute of Physics and Technology and also at Yandex School Analysis. You taught industrial ML at the Harvard Space University and you also taught business analytics and big data at St. Petersburg State University School of Management. Would you mind just going briefly over maybe some of the big concepts you taught at this various institution? I started give courses on machine learning uh, at Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. Uh, here again, I was uh, invited by my professor from uh, Yandex School of Data Analysis and in Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. It was my first practical machine learning course, so I gave the seminars. And this was the moment when we completely changed the program and we moved from theoretical seminars to more practical and I prepared a lot of nice Python homeworks, nice tasks. We even had some competitions with students and they liked it so much. But I already do not give the seminars because I actually do not have time for the whole <laughs> seminars. It should be like 16, yeah, 16 seminars like each year. So that's pretty a lot. And now I only give lectures in Harbor Space of Barcelona, St. Petersburg University. So in Barcelona, it's my favorite course because it's industrial machine learning and it's 100% applied and it's my favorite part of machine learning of work with machine learning and in this course we cover the whole stages of projects starting from business understanding setting up business goal and mass problem statement then we went through the potential economical effect estimation designing solution training model setting up monitoring and all this stuff and i believe it's very important because algorithms are important, of course, and every machine learning specialist should know how to train a model, how, for example, neural networks or random forest or gradient boosting works. But this is something that can be covered in traditional machine learning course or even in some video lectures. But when it comes to real world cases, it's 
important to know from where to start, right? How to formulate problem statement, how to make sure that you did it right, and how to create, how to develop a service on top of machine learning model. And this is what we try to cover in Harvard Space. So this is really my favorite course. Uh, yeah, and St. Petersburg, of course, I just <laughs> I forget to mention. Here I run short course on business analytics and data science for managers. And I also like this audience a lot because there are senior people who actually already became top managers and directors, and they are still interested in some technical stuff. They're interested in new modern courses, and I help them to figure out what is machine learning, how they can uh, use it for their companies, for their businesses, and they have a lot of very interesting case studies and uh, discussions about how actually some business can benefit from machine learning. And I believe in these courses, we both learn from each other because we can share experience and it's really very interesting. I guess like kind of a working team is like, you know, you, you taught this concept for various audience. What is your favorite part about teaching? What is part of teaching that you derive the most satisfaction? Teacher definitely gives me a lot of energy. And I believe my favorite part is communication with people. Because when you have something, for example, you have some experience or some knowledge, it's so good to share it with someone because you both benefit from this process. You give some facts, you share some knowledge, and someone responds to you. And it helped me to see machine learning from different angles and see uh, how this technology can help to solve different cases. And I think that it's a good idea to teach people because sharing knowledge is something that makes just makes the whole industry benefit from it. Very interesting. Since February of 2020, you have been the co-founder and chief technology officer at Evidently AI, which is building a human interface to machine learning so that companies can trust, monitor, and improve the performance of AI solutions. Can you share the story behind the founding of the company and how did you become interested in um, modern monitoring? It's interesting because I was still working in Mechanica and in Mechanica we built quite a lot of solutions based on machine learning models and always when we finally built the application this application started to work in production started to generate some value it became very important to make sure that it actually works and works correctly because when something fails in production you know you literally lose money on each failure and for every project we set it up monitoring schema from scratch because there were always different parts of the solution that we needed to pay attention to. I mean, in some cases, for example, we needed to monitor our uh, data sources because they were kind of unstable. I mean, some sensors could be broken, but nobody will stop the technological process to fix some small sensor because, you know, <laughs> you cannot just stop your equipment to fix temperature sensor. You pretty much will continue running it until the next major revamp. So uh, we need to monitor which sensor works correctly, which sensors do not work to make sure that our machine learning uses correct data as an input. So it was like <laughs> input data monitoring. In other case, we needed to look for pipelines because we had pretty complicated data pipelines with a lot of different feature engineering inside of these pipelines and the monitoring was absolutely <laughs> another. I figured out that there is no like general solution for a machine learning monitoring system. And I was thinking about why not to try to build this product that could help to 
look after machine learning models in production. And I also was very interested in accumulate my experience and experience of my colleagues in some product. And this is how this idea started to live. Thanks for sharing the story. Uh, let's dig deeper into some of the technical problems that you're solving. So I was reading this uh, monitoring box series on Evident AI block last year. And, you know, it's be great if we can go over some of the uh, concepts that you cover. So part one and part two of the series introduced the concept of monitoring and then also expose the monitoring gap in the enterprise. Yeah, would you mind going over some of the key takeaways from these two pieces? It's so nice to know that someone actually read our blog. So thank you for that, first of all. I believe the biggest issue is that a lot of companies start monitor their machine learning models after only after of first a huge breaks. And I think this is the mistake by itself because it's better to get prepared for such cases and start monitoring models from the very beginning. And I believe it's important to know that machine learning based service is different from other services and of course we need to monitor things like service health like response time memory usage cpu usage and other stuff but we have a data layer which is a solid part of the solution and i would even say that in most cases when something wrong with your machine learning model it's because of the input data it's super important to monitor the data itself. So I think this is the biggest gap and there is no default solution that you can use for machine learning monitoring. There are different solutions. They're becoming more and more in the industry, but it's super important to analyze your case to figure out where uh, your machine learning model can break cannot break because you have very unstable process. And for example, you can suffer from cancer drift or data drift, or maybe you need to look after your data pipelines or source data is in danger. So I believe it's super important to make sure that you have monitoring that is suited for your case perfectly. Perfect. Just kind of continue the thread. Part three and part four of the series look at possible data qualities and integrity issues, and also propose how to address them. So can you uh, unpack some of these issues and uh, these ways to address them? When it comes to data quality and data integrity, pretty straightforward see that there is a lot of things that can happen with your model. For example, you can basically lose access to the data or some data sources can be broken. For example, your physical sensor can be broken and then your model can lose some very important signal. <laughs> it happened to me, right? That is why I mentioned it again. Or maybe something simple can happen. For example, your machine learning model can use some data from some CRM system. And if CRM users will decide to update names of a couple of columns or just move it around or add something that model will break because it will use the new data schema as an input data. So such things sometimes happen, especially when you use uh, data from third parties and you do not have the full control of this data. And for such cases, it's good to have data integrity monitoring. And of course, there are issues like data drift or concept drift when your data uh, can have the uh, right schema, but the exact features or your target can be changed. And if your model is not prepared for that, it will degrade or even break. I see. Wow, all these issues. Which one do you think should be prioritized first? Um, <laughs> it's a hard question for me because it's really depends on the case. But let's say if you believe that your business process or technological process you're about to optimize with help of machine learning model is more or less stable, then I would go for data integrity monitoring. So to make sure that your data schema and amount of input data are correct. 
But if we are talking about a bit unstable process where, for example, you have a lot of uh, user-generated data, and when it comes to users, users can change their behaviors due to a lot of different reasons. For example, marketing campaigns from external companies or maybe just because of the weather, <laughs> everything can happen. So in these cases, I would suggest to start from uh, data drift monitoring because data drift is kind of early monitoring that could help you to notice some changes in your data earlier and prepare your model for that. Yeah, thank you for sharing those use cases. You also have like a couple of talks on this topic on, on YouTube, and I'll be sure to include those links into the show notes. So, you know, listeners can have a chance to take a look and then listen to Emily sharing these little uh, insights in more detail. Let's take off your data hat and put on your father hat. Uh, what are some of oh. the pros and cons of building a product that is open source? Wow, <laughs> that's a very nice question. Well, it was a tough decision for us. We discussed it a lot with my co-founder, Elena, who is our CEO. And, well, it's hard when you tend to be a perfectionist because you're building in public, you upload your code in public, and, well, if something implemented not that well, then everybody will see it. So it was kind of hard decision for us. But I believe it's good in a lot of ways because when you build something in public, you have your feedback very early and you have a lot of users who can be early birds and start using your system when it's not fully implemented and they share their thoughts and it helps a lot. So it helps you to test a lot of hypotheses really fast and focus on the better hypothesis and implement them better. And one more thing, which is related more to monitoring system. I believe when you build some tool to monitor other services, it's important that this tool is visible, let's call it like this, because if you use something to evaluate other systems, it's better to understand how it actually works, for what problems it accounts, and what are the weaknesses of the system. Nowadays, there are more and more machine learning models that are moving to production, and these machine learning models can take very serious solutions, uh, I would say. So, I mean, they take a lot of decisions impacting people's life directly, like in healthcare or some social services, or maybe in finance, like uh, credits and so on. And I believe monitoring is important because we need to make sure that these decisions are correct. And I know that no one actually has the whole picture and no one knows the whole potential problems that could happen. And when you build some tools uh, in public, in open source, then you can aggregate the experience from many, many different engineers and business specialists. And it's good to work on the tools together and integrate all this experience there. So for us, I believe this was the biggest reason to build it in public. Yeah, aggregating all those public knowledge and then incorporate that is a design decision. And so I was looking at the project and the open source product has undergone a few versions recently, including features that analyze data drift target prediction drips, and even performance of regression models. How did you prioritize your product roadmap? Well, we use our experience a lot because actually we faced problem with monitoring of production services on top of machine learning models ourselves, both in Mechanica and in Yandex Data Factory. So we just prioritized the issues that could happen and we based our roadmap on top of that priorities. But we also spent quite a lot of time talking with our potential users from many, many different companies. And we listened for them really carefully. And actually, I was thinking to start from regression and classification performance monitoring. But we figured out that it's very important to, for users to have data drift and target drift 
uh, or cancer drift, <laughs> it's pretty much the same. And we rescheduled and started from these things. So I believe for us is the most important is what our potential users and real users think. And we prioritize our roadmap a lot on top of this feedback. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, what are some of the things that you plan to be next for Airbnb? Uh, sure. Now I'm working on classification performance report to have something the same that we have for regression, but for classification. And it's really interesting because classification differ from regression a lot. So there we have a lot of labels. You have this huge confusion metrics, especially when it comes to several class. And uh, we are working on the reports that could help users to figure out what's wrong with the classification model, on which labels we are slightly better, on which labels we are slightly wrong, identify some segments of underperformance, and maybe have a general view on the model's quality. Yeah, I see. For people who are interested in giving feedback or contributing to the open source mm-hmm. project, why would you point them to? I would point them to our GitHub because we have uh, <laughs> our public GitHub and you can write an issue or just go to our site and write that you're happy to take part because, well, we are interested and we are talking to our users a lot. So if someone are interested to discuss something, then we are here to talk. Perfect. Finally, how would you describe the data community in Moscow? Oh, good question. Well, I would say it's large and it's young because we have a lot of uh, young data scientists who are just finishing school or who are in the first or second course of the universities and they're super active, they're enthusiastic and they like to develop something. So yeah, one more fun fact of uh, about uh, Russian data scientists. We are really good in implementing things even if we are reinventing bicycles. So we like to implement everything ourselves and sometimes it's uh, not super efficient. Perfect. I think that's, that's a great way to kind of wrap it up. Emily, at this part of our conversation, I want to move to the final closing segment, which I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions and you can give oh. the answers for the listeners. Okay. Number one, name three people in the data science universe whose work you admire. Okay, I'm a practitioner, so I admire work of some practitioner data scientists. And first would be Ian Lekun for his impact in computer vision and uh, neural networks. Second would be Thomas Mikkels, uh, because I really uh, adore word to vec and I think it was like a revolution for natural language processing. And third would be Andrew In, because I respect the amount of time and efforts he put into creating his super nice Coursera courses. And he even published some course in YouTube. And I, I'm teaching myself and I love the idea of sharing knowledge. This is why I choose him. Yeah, not going to much people opening and drawing. Yeah, great recommendations. Number two, name one book that you could recommend for people to develop a better analytical mindset. I think to develop some skills, it's better to it's better try to do something. So if someone wants to develop analytical skills, I would recommend to take a pet project with supervisor and do it. So I would go for some practice instead of books. But if someone wants statistical learning from Tip Sharani and Hasti is a good one. <laughs> anyway. That book's been recommended a lot of times. So definitely good, good resources. And uh, finally, imagine that you can send out a tweet to all the aspiring data scientists on Twitter. What could you tweet about? That's a hard question for me because I'm like totally offline person. 
<laughs> and I'm not very active on Twitter, but uh, if I had this chance, I would say that it's a good idea to invest a lot of your time, especially at the very beginning of your career, into engineering part. I mean, learn at least one programming language by heart, learn something about distributed computations, learn something uh, about databases, and of course, learn math very well, because this is the background you're going to use during your whole career and only after you have solid engineering background because well data science is the engineering profession only after that learn this uh, a lot of nice fancy tools for modeling not vice versa i love that part when you mentioned data science is an engineering profession right so that emphasized important of mastering the, the fundamentals so yep yeah emily i really enjoyed our conversation today and learn about your education studying math and getting into CS, some of your earlier career work, building reference system at Yandex, leading data science at the applied research project, creating models on industrial AI at mechanical AI, and then fighting infinitely AI, some of your teaching responsibility across different universities and on Coursera, and you know a lot of great materials related to model monitoring and uh, building open source software. And I'll be sure to include all the, the links and the resources to the show notes so listeners can have a chance to dig a little bit deeper and gather some of your insights and reach out if they feel the need to. That's great. So yeah, Emily, I appreciate it and I appreciate a great recipe. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and thank you so much for having me here. Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. You can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website, jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now.